everybody. Good morning. I know you've already heard plenty of my voice today, so uh, <laughs> but you're going to hear some more. Casey said I'm, a, I'm an attractive singer or good-looking singer, which it means I've arrived. That's all, like, we're done. Let's go home. That's, that's what everyone wants, right? That's what you want to be known as, is an attractive... Doesn't everyone want that? I don't know. Anyway. All right. Well, this, is, uh, this is my favorite time of year. I love this time of year. Uh, when the weather gets a little colder, you can uh, layer. That's definitely my metro side, is I like being able to wear jackets and sweaters and like put on more than just a t-shirt and shorts or whatever. Um, so I love this time of year as it gets colder, and I love what it symbolizes. There's so many um, great aspects and, and opportunities to engage with others, to see pretty lights, to have good food, all that kind of stuff that goes on. And specifically for our family, this time of year is crazy. If you know uh, anything about us with our birthdays and stuff, you know that this is a very, you know, starting out now, but really in December is a crazy month because, so December 10th will be our ninth anniversary, my wife and I. The uh, 14th is her birthday. The 18th is Eliana's birthday. A week later is Christmas. A week later is New Year's. A week later is my birthday. And then somewhere further down in March is Gianna's birthday. So at least we have a little bit of a break there. But it's like party central, spend money central, brokenness central, you know, so on and so forth. Um, but this time of year, we're, we're, it, it, there's so much to celebrate. There's so much beauty. And, um, I, you know, I just I had to start by, uh, by taking a moment to appreciate uh, some of the best parts about the holidays, which is family photos, right? Isn't that the best thing? Are we all like so happy and looking forward to those awkward family photos that happen this time of year? So I, I did you all a favor and I went online and found people that are not at all represented by our church. I know none of you would look like this in any of these photos. We're all just going to laugh at them and how ridiculous they look for the holidays, all right? So uh, I want to lead you through some uh, different uh, awkward family photos, all right? So here we go. Here's the first one. That looks way too real. Maybe it's posed, but because his face, he's like concerned. He's like, I don't know what's going on. Was it something I said? Is it something I smell? Yeah, anyway. All right, so next one. That's a beautiful one. It's kind of dark. Can you see that one? Probably an older brother has tied him in, in uh, many knots with the Christmas lights. What a, it's a perfect use for Christmas lights, not the tree. You know, tie up your brothers. All right, next. All right, so have you ever seen these ones before? These ones always get me. Like, I don't know if it's, like, something we should be, like, mourning. Like, are they, is that person passed away? Like, I'm kind of afraid to laugh at this picture. But then there's people who do this with, like, their cats and stuff. And I'm not sure, like, I don't understand it. I don't get it. Anyway, and they're all kind of looking up at that person. All right, I just want to tell you she's wearing shorts, so don't freak out, everybody, all right? But the picture is awkward enough. I don't even need to say anything about this photo with the monkey and, and all that. It's a monkey in a dress, just in case you, it's a little, little monkey or pet monkey. All right, next. That's, that's enough of that one. All right, I don't know if you can tell, but these are really creepy Santa Claus sweaters. Anybody love, like, holiday sweaters into the, into the style? I personally, I mean, that, that's, it's, without offending anyone, it's dorky. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be caught in, I wouldn't be caught in one of those sweaters. Let's go to the next picture. Oh. Sorry, I guess we have been caught in those sweaters before. I actually do like Christmas sweaters. I just had to like build that up for dramatic uh, effect. That was last year, obviously, before COVID. There's no masks and freedom in Disneyland, the promised land and beauty and joy and peace. Now we're in chains. All right, next one. All right, so I'll do sweaters, but matching jammies are not. 
It's not allowed, all right? So uh, for obvious reasons. Okay, you can go to the next one. That's not me. My, that's my chubber, chubby uh, twin brother, Robert. All right, so anyway, all right, a couple more. Obviously, we've done PJs. All right, this one just makes me happy. I have no idea who thought this picture up and picked out the wardrobes, but the red shorts and the broken arm and the, he has a broken neck, I think, or like a neck brace. And then the creepy dog and like the one beanie with the vest. There's just so much magic in this photo. It's glorious. And I think there's one last one, and this is my favorite. This one tops them all. Can you see what's in the tree? It's all of their swimming medals, all their awards. This family is very proud of their swimming champion children at the holidays. I love it. Thank you. That's cool. So that, that'll, that'll you know, tie you over for a few days. Um, yeah, so this time of year is, is fun. It's a good time to laugh. It's a good time to celebrate. And tradition is a huge part of this time of year. And, and maybe uh, it might look one way to one family or one individual and, and different for someone else. And I know for us, like you saw in that picture, one of our traditions is always going to Disneyland at Christmas. Um, I, I got to marry a couple years ago a gentleman who's a manager at Disneyland. So he had always at Christmas time, like, get us in. So that was really cool. And this is the first year we're going to miss it. So I'm, I'm super bummed about that. Uh, but there's a lot of traditions and beautiful things that we can do with our families and celebrate. And uh, one specific tradition that got started recently, and it's not just about uh, this time of year, but it's, it's really with the theme of Thanksgiving, is uh, uh, months back, maybe even, maybe even like a year and a half back, um, our oldest daughter was just having some like weird dreams, not like horrific nightmares, but just some like, you know, dreams that were unsettling for her and stuff like that. And so she came up with the awesome idea. She said, Dad, before we go to bed, I want to do two things. I want to thank God for what he's given us. We all pick one thing that we're thankful for. And then after that, I want to talk about what our sweet dreams are going to be. So every night since then, before bed, we go through and everybody picks one thing that we're thankful for. And then we kind of create like, all right, and tonight we want to dream about, and it always ends up being like some candy castle that they can live in and eat the bed or something like that. Um, some fun dream. But the, the beautiful thing is, is every night going through and thinking about what we're thankful for. And the hardest nights are the nights where you're like frustrated or you kind of been fighting with the kids or just the day's been stressful. And then you have to sit down and actually think like, God, what am I thankful for? And sometimes I'm like, nothing, nothing. I'm not thankful for anything tonight. I'm angry. Uh, but it's a great practice to kind of stop and, and, and it forces you to, okay, I'm gonna reflect on this day, whether it was awesome or hard. And uh, what is something that I can pull out that I appreciate? And so that, that's been a beautiful tradition, and we'll continue doing that. And I'm, I'm sure all of you have so many different things that you could talk about that are, are uh, beneficial or that you're looking forward to in this season. And one of the biggest reasons I love this season is the progression of even the holidays. And I can guarantee you nobody in our, you know, from country leadership thought this through per se. But if you look at Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year, the progression of those things, I see God all over it. This is such an awesome time of year to experience God and beauty and the Prince of Peace and hope, all those things that the Bible talks about. And think about the progression. Thanksgiving comes first. So it's giving thanks. It's remembering what God's done. We're thankful because of his good deeds and his love towards us. So it starts with the past. Then Christmas, the whole idea of God with us. He's very present with us now. It's this, this present uh, state. And then New Year's is the future. We're looking forward in anticipation to the fulfillment of God's promises and the things to come. So even the holiday season itself is a wonderful opportunity to worship and connect with God in intimacy. I love that. Um, more than any other uh, time of year, this season encourages thankfulness and it uh, encourages giving and sharing. It connects us to incredible hope and peace. And we're reminded of the story of Jesus being born, that God is truly with us. 
Uh, in this moment in our lives, uh, we have the wonderful opportunity to connect to all those things. Um, but, but it's 2020, right? That all sounds great. But this has pretty much been a year of chaos in a lot of ways. And one of the things as I was thinking about it, the, the Thanksgiving coming up and the idea that we should be thankful, um, one of the things that concerns me in my life, for the people I love, for our church and community, nation and world, is that in a year of chaos, what if we miss this opportunity to connect with God? What if we, we miss the opportunity to be close to God? Maybe for some of us in here today, it feels like God isn't God with us. He's God in quarantine. He's, he's distant. We're not connected to him uh, through the stress and the fear and the questions and the, the tension that we're experiencing. Um, so maybe this year we have the, 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 the scary possibility of missing out on having an opportunity to enjoy giving thanks and what this season means. Um, but I think, you know, in this year, in this stressful year, I would say that there's no greater time to give thanks. I would say that there's no greater time, at least in my lifetime, as far as I can remember, where it's so challenged and yet so vital to us moving forward to say, God, I thank you for what you've done. God, I can look back and in spite of the challenges of life, I've seen your faithfulness time and time again. And I believe in you and I trust in you that there's greater things to come. I think that that would be the wonderful opportunity that we have for this year. And as I pull apart, I want to talk about uh, um, thank, uh, uh, Thanksgiving thanks, basically. So Thanksgiving, we're giving thanks. And thanks is a giving present to us. It gives us something. It gives us value and treasure that we'll work through today. So a couple things as I pulled apart, uh, three main types uh, of people right now, I would say, in our society um, that are going through this holiday season. I'd say, one, there's the type of person who maybe feels like they're in a bubble. Maybe they feel like the children of Israel in the Bible when the plagues are falling on Egypt, but, but they're spared. And I think there's a lot of people I've talked to who tell me, you know, this year sounds in, in theory horrific, but I've experienced probably one of my best years ever, whether it's with health or finances or relationships, whatever. Maybe it's, it's forced me to slow down and I've really enjoyed not, you know, joining in the rat race of life. So there, there's a group of people who would say, you know, 2020 sounds like it's a crazy year, but somehow... God's brought us through, and, and we've experienced incredible blessing in spite of it. Then there's the group of people that would say, okay, you know, yes, yes, it's stressful, but I've made it through, and I'm just ready to move on, okay? And maybe this is the uh, thank you, but next kind of people, right? So we have the blessed people first, and now we have the thank you, but next type people saying, I'm ready to move on. It, it's been fine. I'm not, it's not a horrific year, but let, let's move on to the next year. And then there, finally, there's those that might be stressed and depressed, and maybe this year really has taken a toll on you. Maybe uh, the challenges in our community, um, you know, it, it's been the worst year maybe ever for some. And I know for our church family that uh, it hasn't been an easy year. I know we've, we've said goodbye to loved ones, have passed on and gone to heaven. I know that for a huge chunk of this year, we spent time alone. And all we had in here was me and Casey and the sound tech team and maybe some musicians and some teddy bears in the audience, if you never saw that, to keep us company. Um, you know, we spent time apart. There's been challenges, and, and the list could go on and on. I'm sure there's so many things that have been challenging. Um, but what a great way for us to stop and reflect and say, God, wherever I'm at today, I want to stop and, and begin thinking and focusing on the work that you have done in my life, whether I feel completely blessed or depressed and stressed or somewhere in between. This Thanksgiving season, I think, has a message for every single one of us. You don't have to be on top of your game feeling like 100%. Uh, being full of power and faith to be able to give thanks to God. It really just takes a willingness, and it comes from our heart. 
And so I want to go through a couple things, and I want to start by giving us the background of U.S. history, because I think this will encourage us, and Casey's done this before as well, such powerful stories about the pilgrims coming over and Thanksgiving, and so I just want to remind us of some of these details. But as you hear the, the story of, of America and what Thanksgiving has meant to our nation, um, it's going to really clearly, right away, uh, point out the fact that Thanksgiving isn't necessarily something that's done due to plenty and blessing. Most of the time, specific pivotal dates in our country's Thanksgiving holiday and, and the formation of it as a national holiday were actually tied around brokenness and strife and fear. And so let's read through this because I think it will encourage us that if we feel like, man, this has been a hard year and I'm trying to, to, to hang on, I'm trying to find things to be thankful and have a heart of gratitude and not stress and, and frustration— Listen to some of this U.S. history. So the very first Thanksgiving recorded was almost a year after the first settlers came to Plymouth to settle and build their new home. And let's go to that uh, the artwork, that picture of the, I don't know if it looked exactly like this, but, you know, there you go. That's, that's, that's about right, I'm sure. Uh, a year after the first settlers came to Plymouth to settle and build their new home. When they arrived, it was the beginning of winter, and it was brutal. Many suffered from exposure, scurvy, and outbreaks of infectious diseases. Only half of the Mayflower passengers and crew lived to see the spring. As they came ashore, they were greeted by two different Native American men who spoke English, one being the famous Squanto, who had been captured and sold into slavery in England, and then he escaped and returned back to his home in America. Uh, and it was a truly uh, supernatural journey. If you look into his, his story, it's, it sounds like a, sounds like a, a myth. It, it's pretty amazing. But they both spoke English so they could communicate with the settlers. Uh, Squanto is literally Jesus in the flesh, and he taught the malnourished settlers how to cultivate corn, extract sap from maple trees, catch fish in the river, and avoid poisonous plants and berries. He also helped forge an alliance between the settlers and local tribe for trade and protection. So that next November of 1621, after the first successful corn harvest for the settlers, Governor William Bradford organized a celebration and a feast that lasted for three days celebrating the alliances that were built and how God had provided food and nourishment. So the very first Thanksgiving is based off of seeing this incredible miracle as God has provided um, the help for the settlers to understand the land and begin cultivating it and, and survive. Literally without the Native American help, I, I don't know that they would have made it. And so that happens for the first Thanksgiving. But it's interesting, then the next Thanksgiving, the very next year, uh, it stands out um, that... Uh, uh, as a celebration once again for God's provision. And leading up to that second Thanksgiving, there was a horrific uh, drought throughout the land. And so the corn harvest crop was in, in grave danger, which was the staple to their, their food supply. And so what happened was Governor William Bradford, he calls for everyone to have a time of, of fasting and praying for God to open the heavens and bring the rain. And so they fasted and prayed and fasted and prayed and fasted and prayed. And it rained, and they were able to harvest, and God once again provided for them. And that was the celebration of that thing, second Thanksgiving. And from that point forward, it was a very common practice among the settlers to uh, engage with their worship with God with fasting and prayer, to give thanks and, and to depend on him. The next Thanksgiving after that date that stands out is 1789. And it was a statement that was issued by George Washington himself, the first uh, Thanksgiving proclamation issued by the new national government. And he called Americans to offer their gratitude for the end of the Revolutionary War and for the completion of the U.S. Constitution. And pre presidents to follow also designated days of remembrance and thanksgiving. So we have the settlers come, we have their, their starvation and illness and fear, and God provides, and thanksgiving is born. 
The second year, once again, challenge arises, and they're praying and depending on God. He pours out his blessing, and, and thanksgiving is offered. Then you have the Revolutionary War and, and that great, incredible feat of our nation, uh, the birth of our nation, but it came at a price. Many people lost their lives. It was a painful time in our country's history as we broke away pursuing freedom of, of religion and freedom for our new nation. Then after that, the, the next one, which really stood out to me the most, is in uh, 1863, at the height of the Civil War uh, with Pre President Lincoln, of course, he was prompted by a woman named Sarah Hale to make Thanksgiving a national holiday. This woman had been working for years trying to say, we should make this something that we observe every single year at this time. And so during Civil War, in the middle of the conflict, at its highest moments, uh, President Abraham Lincoln says, you know what, this is the time to do it. And he makes it a national holiday. And President Abraham Lincoln asked all Americans to pray for God for mercy for those who are now widows, orphans, mourners, and sufferers due to the Civil War, and to ask God to heal the wounds of the nation. He scheduled Thanksgiving to be the final Thursday in November each and every year. And go to that next. There's a couple of artwork I wanted to show. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of a photo doesn't look like the kind of Thanksgiving I'm used to, right? Holding hands around the table, smile, laughter, appreciating those that we love. This was, for this time, this is what Thanksgiving looked like. It looks like remembering those who were fighting and losing their lives, our nation torn apart, and remembering to not only say, God, have mercy on the widow and the orphan and those who are mourning the loss of a father and a son, but literally to say, and let that thanksgiving to God and dependence on God, let it drive you to offer help to others. May it be something that, that causes you to reach out and be uh, someone who brings comfort and healing and to support the, who those who need it. And there's one more photo. It's just, I, I think this one's more of Gettysburg, the next one, but Abraham Lincoln there, he's making his speech. So you can imagine the nation sitting on his every word, and he makes this, this beautiful proclamation that it's now a national holiday. And finally, you can go to that, that next picture. The last one in American history I want to talk about was during the Great Depression. President Roosevelt uh, ended up moving the date of Thanksgiving. He moved it to the third uh, Thursday of November, not the last, but the second to last. And at this time, it was during the Great Depression, he moved it because he wanted to, to stimulate the economy. And again, Thanksgiving very much tied into the Great Depression and people waiting in line for just a cup of coffee and specifically for those who are unemployed. And the pictures are just heartbreaking and, and you can see the, the pain and the strife. And here we are again enjoying this Thanksgiving, but it's not a time necessarily of celebration and peace. It's a time of struggle and turmoil and fear. And what ended up happening later on is enough people were like, hey, we like it better on the, the last Thursday of the month. They ended up moving it back, which is what we celebrate today. And our country's history surrounding this holiday of Thanksgiving is not one of excess and peace. It's one of strife and miracles, brokenness and suffering, and still a deep sense of gratitude and unity in spite of what they were going through. And here we are in 2020, our COVID politically divided and depressed, shaky economy, Thanksgiving. That's what we have to celebrate this year, right? And I ask the question, honestly, what do we have to be thankful for? What do we have to be thankful for this year? We may not be starving strangers in an unknown land. We may not be suffering the trauma and effects of the Revolutionary War or Civil War. We may not be in a Great Depression. Maybe yet. Some people are saying it's coming. Whatever. We'll see. Pray for God for mercy, right? But this year has brought with it such great suffering and fear and heartache uh, that 2020 will be a year that we don't forget. We will remember it. And for me, one of the interesting things, I think one of the spots that hit me the most is God's been so kind and, and kept our family safe and strong. But I remember one day 
we were driving on the freeway, and on the five freeway, there's this mall in Santa Ana called Main Place Mall. And as we were driving past it, the, a bunch of exits, it was like horrific traffic everywhere. And we're like, what's going on? It almost looked like, a, like major closures or something was wrong. And as we started to notice, it was thousands of cars lined up to pull into Main Place parking lot to receive food. It was hundreds and thousands of families who didn't have food during this time. I think it was back in like May or something like that, um, coming to get just whatever they could for their kids. And that's humbling, man. That, that's a place that I, I thank God I, I wasn't a part of that line, that God has provided for us. And I'm thankful that God provided the helping hands to help those families. But to watch that, you, you can't sit back and say, oh, we're okay. You know, nobody's really hurting. We're, it's all, you know, we'll make it through. No, there, there are people hurting in our community. And I believe there's probably people hurting and struggling majorly here in our church. And so today, as I'm talking about thankfulness, I, I, I want you to know that I'm coming from a place of humbleness in that I can't speak for you. That's the thing about Thanksgiving is Thanksgiving is personal. You think of Thanksgiving done as community, and, and it is. It's wonderful to hear other people talk about what they're thankful for. But really, a heart of thanks and gratitude, that's your personal connection with God. And I almost feel like it's not even right for me to challenge you to be thankful if I don't even know the pain and struggling that some of you are going through. And so that's not necessarily what I'm going to do today. What I'm going to do is encourage all of us to meet God where we are at. To say, God, whether I'm living in the plenty and blessing or whether I'm living in the struggle and the stress or anywhere in between, God, how can I take another step closer to you? Because that's where I want to be. I want to grow more into Jesus' image. In good and bad, I want to persevere. In good and bad, I want to be closer to you. I want to experience your love and your power in my life. You know, one of the things that I wanted to point out, I was just thinking about it, is that each one of us have different circumstances. Each one of us have different things happening in our life. But the reason why we're all unified by this idea of thanksgiving is that thanksgiving determines or defines our circumstances. It's not the other way around. The way it's supposed to be is as we face good and bad, we look at it through the lens of thankfulness to God. We look at it through the lens of, God, I know you're at work. I know you're here with me. I'm not alone. I don't have to be afraid. We're going to get through this. Good and bad, thanksgiving and gratitude is the lens that we should be and are looking at our circumstances through. And so I want to go into this passage, um, this great passage. I was thinking about, you know, what, what in the Bible is a good example of thanksgiving? Because I want it like tangible, you know, the idea of anyone could say, okay, God, thank you. Thank you for your love. And, and that's meaningful. If it's from your heart to God, that's meaningful. Um, but I wanted like, what are, what are some tangible examples in the Bible of individuals giving thanks, how they did it, why they did it, all that kind of stuff. And there's so many different examples that, that you can think of, but one that stood out uh, really powerful to me was this passage in the book of Joshua. So I want to lead you through it. I haven't given you all of the passage of Scripture because I kind of want you to just soak it in. There's a little bit there in the lift notes and a little bit on the screen, some stuff that I wanted to stand out. But I'm literally going to read through uh, the majority of three and four. It's not horribly long. But it's a powerful story, and I'm sure you've heard of it. And so let me, let me read it through, and then we'll, we'll kind of dissect it. So it says this. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out and went to the Jordan River, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. I love that last scripture. You'll know which way to go because this is new territory you're stepping into. That incredible promise and warning uh, to encourage the people, hey, stay focused because this is new territory. 
And some background about this story. The children of Israel, we know they escaped Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. They're in the wilderness, marching towards their promised land. They go through all kinds of different times of of God's blessing and trials. In the end, that generation with Moses never enters the promised land because of their doubt, because of their complaining. They were anything but grateful and thankful. And so what happens is their children's generation grows up. Joshua takes over from Moses, and God says, it's time. It's time for your generation to have the opportunity to step into my promises and the things that I have for you. And so the first step on the journey is they come to the Jordan River, and they're getting this instruction that, hey, God's about to do something, so follow along, follow the, the Levites, the religious leaders in Joshua, those that God has put in charge. They're going to explain to you and show you what's going to happen, but be aware because we're entering into new territory. So it says this, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. That's a great scripture, right? Consecrate, prepare your heart. Make sure that you are are once again just reminded that we're devoted to God because he's about to do something amazing. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and they went ahead of them. So when the people broke camp and crossed the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flooding stage all during harvest season, which is when this story took place. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, The water from upstream stopped flowing, and it piled up in a heap a great distance away, while the water flowing down to the Dead Sea was completely cut off. So the people of Israel crossed over opposite of Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all of Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed crossing on dry ground. Does that sound familiar, right? Doesn't that sound like, wait, wasn't that... Wasn't that the Red Sea with Moses? It's the same story. It's the same kind of miracle that God's doing. And he's reestablishing Joshua in the people's eyes. He's like, here's the new Moses. And the Jordan River, yeah, maybe the, the, the Red Sea sounds like that's a sea and this is a river. But the, the River Jordan was overflowing. It's, it's, it's ferocious. It's not a safe thing to step into. It's not something that you could cross safely with all these people. And so the Levites step into the water. They have the Ark of the Covenant, and God does this amazing miracle again for his people. And he opens up the water for them to cross and begin their journey. And chapter 4 says this, that while the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among uh, the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from, his, uh, from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of Israel to serve as a sign among you in the future. When your children ask you, what did these stones mean? Tell them that the flowing of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. There's an amazing story after that where they do that, where they camp. They set up these beautiful uh, uh, memorial, this place of gratitude, thanksgiving for what God had done to set up as as a testimony, not just to themselves, but to their children and their children's children. And to all generations, all all cultures that would pass by, they set up these stones to be a reminder that God is with us. He is faithful. He is powerful, and we can trust him. It was set up as a testimony. And there's part of this that's really cool. I won't go through the rest. 
I won't go through the rest of the chapter, but one of the things in, in verse 10 that I love too is it says, now the priest who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan and the people hurried across, so they go across to dry land. And as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord that the priest uh, had carried, uh, the people watched. And the men of Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh crossed over, ready for battle in front of the Israelites. So the people cross the water, but as, as the, the Levites are standing in the middle of the river and the water kind of stops and it's dry land, this miracle, I love that one of the first things they do is these tribes say, all right, get your weapons ready. We're going to un- uncharted territory. And we know that, that God has given us this land, but it's, it's, it's not going to be necessarily peaceful. We got to go at it. We got to go strong with the power of God. And so the warriors then lead the way across for protection and this symbol of we're coming. We're coming to claim what God has given to us. And I love that. I love that this miracle and and this act of thanksgiving with these stones is just the beginning. It's just the first step in their journey. But now they're ready to take action and see what God's going to do. I think that that's beautiful. So uh, as I think about this story, as I think about what we're talking today, this idea of thanksgiving, you know, there's two things, uh, two questions that come to my mind about Thanksgiving. So one, uh, what does it look like? And two, why does it matter? Why does Thanksgiving this year matter at all? And, and, and how would I recognize what it looks like or how to take part in it? And so the first one, let's try to answer them together, okay? So what does Thanksgiving look like? I think Thanksgiving can look like a lot of things. I think there's lots of ways to see it, to perceive it. Um, But there's three specific things that I pulled out that I think we can get from the story of Joshua. The first one is that Thanksgiving is an intimate, personal act of worship to God, which sets us in a posture of humility, gratitude, and dependence. Thanksgiving is something that's personal, like I already said. It's something from our heart to God. It's something where we connect with God at an intimate level. And the reality is we're all different. We all have different experiences and personalities. And so one thing that might be an amazing blessing to you, maybe I'm like, I don't really care about that. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm happy the Dodgers won. You know, yay, thank you, God, the Dodgers won. And you might be like, who cares about the Dodgers, right? So we each have our own personality and background and things that matter to us. And that's why Thanksgiving is so personal. It's something that starts in our heart with God because he knows what we need on a personal level. And so our Thanksgiving starts at that intimate place of worship to God. And I love that it sets us up in a a posture of humility. Because when we're thankful, we're admitting, God, I didn't do this, you did. It's not by my strength. It's not by my my power or knowledge. God, it was you, your good and gracious gift. Thank you. It's It's a state of humility. The second thing that, to me, what Thanksgiving looks like is that it's a testimony of spiritual, a spiritual and physical sign of the testimony of what God is doing in our lives. We see the stone altars were assigned to the people of Israel, their children and future generations, and to all the nations of the power of God and the obedience of his children. And that's important. Our thanksgiving, our gratitude during this time of year, during any time of of year, is a testimony not only to ourselves, not only to our spirit, but to our children and our family and our friends and our neighborhoods and our communities. It's a testimony of the power and, and the work of God that's alive and well today. And the third one, like I mentioned with the warriors, Thanksgiving is a call to action. Thanksgiving is not the destination. We don't try to arrive at a place of, okay, I'm thankful and we're done. It's fuel for the journey. Thanksgiving is fuel for the journey ahead. Just like we see in Joshua, this memorial, this act of worship was the starting line in this incredible journey into the promised land for the children of Israel. The miracle itself was a powerful act of God 
And it also required action by the people. They had to take action and step into what God was doing. They actually had to get up and walk. So that first question, what does Thanksgiving look like for all of us? I'd say, one, that it's an intimate, personal interaction with God. Two, it's a testimony. And three, it's a call to action. So the second question, why does it matter? So we're soaking that in. Here's what it might look like. But at the end of the day, why does Thanksgiving matter to us? Why should we engage with God and others in this beautiful act of Thanksgiving? And I would say this, that there's a lot of benefits to it, but one of the biggest ones is this, that thankfulness heals our body, it heals our mind, our soul, and it takes us closer to Jesus. So let's start with that, the the physical mind and body, the aspects of thanksgiving. Why should we be thankful and grateful? Because we benefit physically, mentally from it. Mentally and physically, we will get benefit from Thanksgiving. And so I want to read you this beautiful quote. This is from Harvard Health Studies, Harvard Medical School. They said this. Not, not Christian. They're just writing about gratitude. The word gratitude is derived from the Latin word gratia, or gratia, however you want to pronounce it, which means grace, graciousness, or gratefulness, depending on the context. In some ways, gratitude encompasses all of these meanings. Gratitude is a thankful appreciation for what an individual receives, whether tangible or intangible. With gratitude, people acknowledge the goodness in their lives. In the process, people usually recognize that the source of that goodness lies at least partially outside themselves. And as a result, gratitude also helps people connect to something larger than themselves as individuals, whether it's to other people, nature, or a higher power, we would say, with God, right? In positive psychology research, gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Gratitude helps people feel more positive emotions, relish good experiences, improve their health, deal with adversity, and build strong relationships. Now, right there, can you see the benefit of having gratitude, of having a perspective that, that's, that's full of thanks, that's looking at the positive and pulling out, God, what, what have you done for us this year? What, how have you blessed us this year, God? I want to set my mind on those things. Immediately, when I think of that, I think of Philippians 4, where Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. He goes on this whole list, and he says, think on that kind of stuff. That's where thankfulness is birthed out of. When we set our mind on God, what are you doing? Not, not what the world says, not what my fears are, are screaming at me right now, but God, what is true about you? Where are those, those Jordan River moments in my life that I've had with you? The big and the small, God, how have you come through time and time again? I want to set my mind on that. And the physical benefit for us this holiday season is according to this study, and I would think most of us would agree, that instead of going through a gloomy time of people frustrated and stressed because of what's going on in our nation, we could actually be people who are experiencing hope and true peace from God and beauty and having joy and health in our body. What's one of the best best options to fight... uh, The COVID depression, man, right there is thankfulness. Right there. There it is in their studies. And I love that. So gratitude gives us clarity and health and strength in our physical bodies and minds. But what about for our soul? What does thankfulness and gratitude do for our soul? And I just have a couple things as we're getting uh, ready to finish up here. Number one, for our soul, gratitude is an act of obedience and humility before God. Kind of already talked about that with this, this sign of saying, God, thank you for what you've done in my life. 
And for your reference, I didn't put the words in there, but I gave you the scripture verses in your lift notes so you can check it out later. But this is what it says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul writes this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. And I love that he says there are in all circumstances. Paul is someone who he knew what suffering looked like. He knew what, what being on the edge of death constantly looked like. Um, he experienced some incredible suffering. And even he is saying in all circumstances, we can be grateful. We can give thanks. We can worship God in any circumstance, good and bad. He's with us. And there's still plenty for us to say thank you and put our trust in. And I love that that last line that Paul says, this is the will of God for us as his children. It's God's will that we live our life like this. So that means for us to do it would be acting in obedience. If we don't live life like this, then we're being disobedient. We're not following along with God's example, what he's challenging us with. So this is a big deal to live life in thankfulness and gratitude and worship in all circumstances. It's God's will. So then I have the question, okay, well, why is it God's will? Is he just trying to mess with us? Is he like, you're hurt and broken and I don't care. Give me your lip service. No, that's not God's character at all, right? So why would God, why would it be his will for us to live life in thanksgiving and gratitude? Well, there's a couple reasons. The second point of what it does for our soul. Gratitude reinforces our hope and our dependence on him, on God. Philippians 4 says this, that do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So if we are supposed to go to God, we say, God, I, I, I give you thanks for what you've done. I'm giving you thanks for what you are going to do. I believe in faith, God, um, that we are saying, God, I put my hope in you. It's not in these circumstances. I'm placing my hope and my foundation in you and who you are. And then it's also saying to bring your cares before him, to bring your, your requests before God. And so many different passages talk about God being a loving father and how much he wants to give us good gifts. We talk about that all the time. And so that's one of the great things and why God says, hey, be obedient, trust me, live life in thankfulness and gratitude in all situations because it's going to build up strength in your soul that is priceless. And it starts here, that it offers us hope. It reinforces hope and dependence on God. Another thing that it does, it grows our faith and our power. Peter wrote this, again, a reference there, and you can check it out later. Uh, he said this, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he's talking about it in the end when Jesus Christ comes again, but he's also talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ. How many of you would say, I want to know Jesus more? I want to have a clearer perspective of what his will and what his kingdom is doing. I want to be so connected that it's my first nature to move like Jesus. Well, Paul is writing here to rejoice and that it's actually through some of these trials and tribulations that we're connected, that we are refined, that God, God brings out something beautiful from ashes. God grows something powerful and beautiful in our life. And that going through these trials and, and, and struggles and stress, that it actually produces something beautiful in us that there's a, 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 a reason to keep living, a reason to keep pushing forward, and ultimately that we have that revelation of Jesus Christ. Romans 5, it talks about rejoicing and giving thanks in trials and challenges because it produces perseverance in us. 
That's something I think we all could say. That's a, that's a quality that I want to possess, perseverance, that no matter what comes my way, that I'm not someone who gives up and lays down. I push through it with the power of God, and he's walking with me, and we can get through anything. And on the other side of the Jordan River, I'm going to see his power fulfilled in my life. That's the kind of perseverance that I want to live with. And thanksgiving produces that. And finally, the, the fourth thing that I think is so powerful, my favorite scripture verse in the Bible, the fourth thing that, that thanksgiving will do in our soul it reveals the wonder and the authority of Jesus in our lives and the world around us. And that's something that's powerful this time of year. There's a lot of people trying to grab at power, trying to have a voice, trying to, to cause culture change and all kinds of different ideas and thoughts and pressures on, on culture and all that kind of stuff. But Thanksgiving, stopping and, and focusing on who God is and what he's done, it actually reveals the wonder and that he is truly in charge, that he has the last say, that he is God, and he is over it all. And I love in John 16, from Jesus himself, such a powerful, powerful verse, my favorite in the Bible. Jesus says this to his disciples as he's getting ready to be crucified. He says this, that I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart because I have overcome the world. What a powerful scripture. And I love that Jesus is declaring that before he's even died on the cross and rose from the grave. He's that connected. He's that sure of God's will for his life that he knows it's over. It's done. I, I, I've, I've, I'm in charge. I've taken back authority. I've overcome the world and sin and death. So for all of us, there's so much information, this idea of we have these holidays coming up. What an awesome opportunity for us to connect to God and have positive things happen, to have hope and joy be what defines this time of year and not all the other stuff that people would say, oh, 2020 was blah, blah, blah. This is a great opportunity to connect with God and experience life more abundant, as we always talk about. So to simplify all of it, we're talking about how thankfulness is good for our physical body and our mind and our, our, our soul. It goes deeper inside, that, that thankfulness is good for our soul. And so just two things to think about. I want to challenge you this week, wherever you go. One, take time. Don't rush through it, but take a moment. If you want to do it every day or every night, cool, go for it. I'm, I'm going to try to do that, okay? Number one, identify the love of God and his faithfulness in our lives this year. Literally take time to stop. And if you want to build lists or just if you don't have tons of time, write down a couple thoughts. Um, however you want to identify it. Take time to stop and really reflect on what God has done. In spite of the chaos and the pain and the turmoil, how has God showed himself faithful in all of our lives? And I can guarantee no matter where we're at on the scale of blessed or depressed and stressed, in between, um, there, we all can find something. I know it. I know it. The second thing I want to challenge you to do is this holiday season, set up a memorial. It could be a journal entry, writing down on pages as you go through the holidays. It could be something that, you know, in your worship time with God. But to me, I, I, would, I would love to challenge you all, and I'm going to challenge myself to find something that's physical. The children of Israel, they stacked these stones, and it was symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel that God didn't lose one of them, that they all made it across safely, and that God had a plan for his nation, and he was fulfilling it. It was a testimony to those around him. And so I want to challenge you to set up a memorial, some kind of memorial that one will testify to yourself of the goodness of God, but also will testify to your friends and family. That when people see it, maybe it's like a magnet on your fridge during Thanksgiving, and they're like, what's that? And you can be like, oh, let me tell you about what God's done in my life. Just something that will be a testimony to you and to generations after you. It doesn't have to be super in-depth, but be creative. Find something that has meaning to you and set up a memorial 
a, a moment where you give thanks to God and, and you, you, you really put it into a physical aspect so you can remember it and see it. It's tangible before you. The last thing I want to do is you think about that for this week. I, I want to close by, by going through one final passage. Uh, you know, one of the greatest uh, artists' minds behind Thanksgiving in the Bible is David. You can read through the Psalms and you can see in spite of turmoil and frustration, all the time he brings it back. God, I, I give you thanks. I give you thanks because you're in control. And some of the Psalms stand out more than others. Psalm 23 is probably the most famous Psalm. But the Psalm I want to share with you today is also very famous. Most of you know it. But here's what I want to do. I only have a section of it for the screen, and you can put that up now if you'd like to. Um, but on your lift notes, if you have them, there's a bunch of blank lines. What I want you to do is I want you to think through as I read this psalm, I'm going to read the entire thing all the way through. And I want you to just listen to the words I'm saying. And if anything stands out to you, because this is kind of like, I'm going to help you cheat in getting a head start in what you're thankful for as you have your alone time with God this week. I'm going to read through this, this psalm, and it goes through a list of all the things that God has done and will do for, for his people. Um, I'm going to read through this list. And if any of them, if you're like, boom, that's me, God did that this year. Or boom, that's what I'm, I'm praying and believing for next year. I want you to write it down. Write it down and pull out of Psalm 103 the things that you feel like in your own personal life that you're like, God, I give you thanks. I have gratitude today, God. I'm so thankful for what you're doing and what you're going to do in my life. All right? So just listen to these words and uh, write down some things that stand out to you. Here we go. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord, and may I never forget the good things that he does for me. He forgives all of my sins and heals all my diseases. Remember, this could be something that actually happened now or your believing is coming and you want to give him thanks in advance. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things and my youth is renewed like the eagles. That's, that, I'm right there, man. This year I feel like, God, you're giving me new youth. It's wonderful, God. Sixth verse, the Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is passionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. And he does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal with us harshly as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as high as the heights of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sin as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows we're weak. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like the grass. Like wildflowers, we bloom and die. The wind blows and we're gone as though we had never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever for those who fear him. And his salvation extends to, the children, to our children's children and generations to come. Of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his commandments, the Lord is faithful to them. The Lord has made the heavens his throne. From there he rules over everything. So praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands. 
Yes, praise the Lord, you armies of angels who serve him and do his will. Praise the Lord. Everything he has created, everything in his kingdom in heaven and earth, let all that I am praise the Lord. So as you finish writing, just a final thought for you, that even though this Thanksgiving, it may include turkey and gravy and all that fun stuff, it's clearly much more about the state of our heart. Thanksgiving is really based in our heart. It's not based on what we eat or the the state of circumstances around us. It's where are we with God? Where are we uh, in a part of his, his beautiful plan for our lives? It's truly powerful. It's life and hope giving. Thankfulness connects us to God in a very intimate way. It's the greatest home-cooked meal for our soul. It's literally a feast of thanks this wonderful holiday season. And I truly believe that as we consecrate ourselves, like the children of Israel did, we consecrate ourselves, and it starts in thanksgiving and worship, that we will see the hand of God, that he's leading us into uncharted territory. And, and despite what the world might tell you, God's power, his kingdom is at work. It's at work in powerful ways all around us every day. And I know I want to be connected to that. I know I want to have eyes and a heart that receive that and get in line with what his kingdom is doing. And it starts with thankfulness. God, we thank you so much for your love today. We thank you for your goodness. And, and we can go through that psalm. And man, it's powerful. It's like the gospel. It's like, like uh, Genesis to Revelation in just that one psalm. And what David was writing about, it, it was something that clearly he had experienced. This had to be later on in his life to have that kind of wisdom and testimony to share about what you are to generations before him, but also personally in his life. And God, I know for every single one of us that each one of us carries a story. Each one of us are, are, have the fingerprints of your love and your grace and your purpose all over us, God. And we want to take time. We want to focus in uh, this time, this, this beautiful time of year that really centers around the, the fact that you are with us. You're real, you're living, you're an amazing God who is intimately acquainted with us, and we want to grab onto that. We want to give you thanks. We want to have a season that is filled with hope and peace, God, not of turmoil and stress and fear. We want to be set free, God. So, Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for what you've done. We set our eyes on the answered prayers, the ways that you have spoken to us, the way we've seen without a doubt that you are real and you are with us time and time again. And God, we also give thanks in advance for the wonderful deeds, your miracles, and your provision that are to come. We give you thanks in advance, God. I, I, I speak against my own heart saying, you know, oh man, just wait for 2021, or how bad is 2021 going to be? God, we speak in faith in advance and thanks that we thank you that this next year, that this holiday season and going into this next year is a year where we have a chance to get closer to you and experience more of your kingdom than we ever have before. And God, we are so thankful for that. We set our mind and our heart on those kind of things, the things that are true and good and pure. And we give you thanks, God. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was singing.